I was so excited about the baptisms today that I ran out of my car into the church without carrying my Bible. But I wrote all the verses down here, so everything I'm saying hopefully is from the Bible. If you see anything I don't, please tell me afterwards. We have been in the middle of a book of the Old Testament, but I thought today it would be good to take a break and, and look at a passage about baptism in light of what we've been experiencing today. So our, our reading today is from the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you have a Bible and you're, you're not familiar with it, there, there are two sections of a Bible. The first three quarters of it is called the Old Testament. Then there's the New Testament. Luke is right near the beginning of the New Testament. Oh, thank you, brother. I, I, <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Too small. <laughs> thank you. This is from Luke chapter 3. Uh, the background is that um, a man named John the Baptist is telling the people that the Messiah is just around the corner. And it's about his ministry there in Jerusalem centuries ago and in the Jordan River. Luke 3, beginning with verse 15. Now the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, and the thongs of his sandals I'm not worthy even to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. It was 1969, Singer Neil Diamond had a hint. Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show. The song talks about a hot August night with a worn out tent and a gospel singing group. And the room gets suddenly still. And when you'd almost bet you could hear yourself sweat, he walks in. Eyes black as coal and when he lifts his face, every ear in the place is on him. Starting soft and slow, like a small earthquake. And when he lets go, half the valley shakes. It's love, brother love, say. Brother love's traveling salvation show. Pick up the babies and grab the old ladies and everyone goes. Because everyone knows about brother love's traveling salvation show. Now, we see an event like this and maybe say, I think I'll drive to the other side of town and avoid the traffic. Or we see a guy with a sandwich board on the street of Philadelphia and New York with a sign that says, repent, the end is near, and we just cross the street because it's uncomfortable. But in A.D. 30, when this prophet John came, everybody had a different reaction. He was such an unusual man. He was living in the desert when God gave his word to him to tell to the people. Matthew's gospel said that he wore rugged clothing. He wore camel skins. He ate locusts. And honey in the wild. And he had a booming voice that just echoed across the hillsides. Don't look at him. It's okay. We're okay. He's good. Um, and so John was booming his voice, quoting from the Old Testament, 
that he's a voice of one calling in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord. So, John preached about a need for people to be baptized. He called it a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the result of his preaching was absolutely electrifying. The banks of the Jordan River were teeming with people of all stages of life. And John said that he was here to announce, as it were, he was here to announce that the reason that the world was created was about to come. His language in his sermons was laced with passages from the Old Testament prophets. They had talked about a Messiah who was going to come, a person chosen by God. The word Messiah means someone who's anointed, um, like a king was anointed with oil or a priest was anointed with oil. It showed that he was set apart from other people and that God was giving him special gifts to do his mission. And so this Messiah was going to come. He was anointed with God's spirit. This Messiah who was coming had the power to change the world. He was going to forgive sins. He was going to make all things new. He was going to bring heaven down to earth. That's what the Old Testament prophets had prophesied. But he was also going to come and judge God's enemies. And John was sent to be the herald that this guy was coming. So John was saying, you folks need to get ready. Now, why did people come to him and listen to him preach and accept his baptism? Well, I think that the, the great majority of them felt a real spiritual need. They wanted to connect with God better. Their, their hearts were hungry. Their souls were thirsty. They, they needed something real compared to what was going on inside of them, as we've heard several people say here today. People came, I think, because of their guilt. Many of them were discouraged with their own vices, with the fact that they knew they ought to change certain things about their lives, and they just didn't have the juice to do it. They knew they couldn't live up to the Bible's standards, and they felt the weight of that. Other people, I think, came because they feared death. They knew a judgment was coming at the end of the world, and they weren't ready for it. I'm not sure I'm prepared, some of these people, I think, would say. It's like um, maybe they attended a funeral, and they got to thinking about their own mortality. Or maybe they're like us when we watch the news and we see school shootings, and we think, my goodness, that could happen tomorrow in my kid's school. That could happen today in this church building. Or maybe they know somebody who got cancer before his time and they were nervous. I imagine other people came. In fact, the Bible strongly says it, that other people came for lesser reasons. There were people who came because they wanted God to help the nation politically. And if we get God on our side, politics will go our way. And these Roman soldiers that are running around everywhere oppressing us, Messiah will shoo them away. Other people, I imagine, just wanted life to go better. You know, if I'm on good terms with God, maybe my marriage will go better. Maybe God will, will um, bless my business. Maybe I'll make more friends. And so John was sent to baptize people, and they came with all kinds of motives and all kinds of conditions of the heart. Now, what we read is John says that I've come to baptize you with water. A ritual, like we saw today. Whether John immersed people, whether he poured upon them, however we picture it happening, the idea was the water washing people. It was about people being cleansed. John was saying, listen, to approach God, you need to be washed. And he said this to the widest range of people, some of whom wouldn't have expected that. He said it, of course, to folks who were rather tough. We read there were some soldiers there who said, you know, what do we need to do in order to be acceptable to God? But he said it also to people who were highly religious, 
Most of the people John was preaching to were Jewish people. They knew themselves as children of God. And some of them were even priests and Bible scholars. And he said to them all, you need to be washed to get ready to meet God. To prepare to meet him, you need to repent of your sins. And you need to demonstrate that by being baptized. He was so effective in his preaching and all that he did that many people thought that maybe he himself is the Messiah. But he clarified that. He said in verse 16 of our passage, he says, no, no. Someone is coming after me, and this someone who is coming after me is more powerful than I. That's interesting. He could have said, this one coming after me, speaking of the Messiah, is wiser than I, which is true, or is more righteous than I, which is certainly true. But he said, the one coming after me is more powerful than I. What was he getting at? Well, what he's saying is, this one coming after me can actually do What I, with baptism, can only illustrate. The idea was this. Baptism was a good thing. It helped people demonstrate the sincerity of their wanting to repent of their sins. It helped them ponder where their sins were. But baptism by itself was and is powerless to actually accomplish anything. It is not, John was saying, you just step into the water, get immersed or poured upon or whatever, and then you're good to go. No, no, no. He says, you need something more than this ritual I can perform. You need the person that this ritual of baptism points to. And thus he said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now that's kind of language to make a person wake up, isn't it? What does he mean? Well, let's consider it. Little by little. He says that this coming Messiah will baptize you. And the idea of the word baptism is this. Of all the words in the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek, the word baptize or baptism has probably been studied more than any other single word. In my library, I have two volumes of a four-volume set that looks at every single use of the word baptized or baptism in the history of the Greek language in ancient times. And what it means is to be brought into contact with somebody or something or some experience so that you are totally changed. So, for example, secular Greek writers talked about a a ship that had crashed upon the shoals near a shoreline of an island and it was sticking up far out of the water, and the waves beat upon it so hard that it just broke the ship in two and and crushed it to splinters. And this Greek writer said that it was baptized by the waves. Or it was talking about a man who was staggering drunk, and, and people said that he was baptized by his bottle. It doesn't mean that he was immersed into it or that it was poured upon him. What it meant was that this bottle had totally changed who he was and how he acted. So, John says... When I, he will baptize you. It means the Messiah will come and will totally change you. Now, he said, the Messiah will come and he, unlike me, John, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit he's talking about? Well, you, you may be familiar that God has said in the Bible that although there is only one God, there are three persons who are divine. God the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's God equally with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. Okay, the Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. What, uh, what does this person, this Spirit, this Holy Spirit do? Well, my goodness, there are dozens and dozens. Really, there's scores of passages in the Bible that says what he does, but just to pluck a few of them out. In the opening verses of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we read in verse 2 that the earth was empty and formless and dark. There was no light upon it at all. And then we read, quote, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Bible from the beginning talks about the Holy Spirit as the one who began to shape creation that was originally just a mass of darkness and confusion and began to bring order out of the chaos as the land appeared and as vegetation and animals and so forth. Life sprung up. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we read in other passages, he, he helps people overcome things that threaten them. For instance, there are many people in the Bible that have had this experience. You may recall the story of the man Samson. Great Samson, and his mighty strength, one of the strongest men who ever lived. We read one time that as he was out in the countryside, a lion attacked him. And in the book of Judges it said, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And yet that kind of power that the Holy Spirit gave him, gave him that was just really small potatoes to greater power that the Holy Spirit gave him later. Reread at that time, Samson, who was a Jewish man, an Israelite, that the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites. They were their masters and overlords and made their lives miserable. And so we read about one time where, because Samson had been such a pain in the neck to the Philistines, they captured him and they bound him with ropes. They were going to deal with him. Now, Samson, we read, he was able to move his arms so that the ropes became like charred flax and just fell down. This wasn't a miracle from God of the ropes changing. This was a miracle from God of strength given to Samson. The idea is not that he was so strong because he was a bodybuilder. The idea is that he was strong because, as the Bible says, the Spirit of God came upon him and he found the dry jawbone of a donkey and with that alone armed killed a thousand Philistines in hand-to-hand combat. This is supernatural. This is what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit did the same thing with many other people in the Old Testament. Gave them power to overcome enemies threatening them, Gideon and David and many other people. Now, in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, in both of those languages, the word spirit is the same word for wind or for breath. And so the idea, when God calls him the Holy Spirit, one of the ideas is that when God the Father speaks that something will be done, it's like he speaks, the breath comes from his mouth, that breath is the Holy Spirit, as it were, who makes that happen, that what God just ordained, it makes it true. So the Holy Spirit brings life, brings order out of chaos, the Holy Spirit helps people overcome the things that threaten them. And the Holy Spirit in the Bible purifies people's very souls. And John was thinking about this when he said that the Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He is, after all, the Holy Spirit. There is a passage in the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel 
It says the following. This is from Ezekiel 36. God promises, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Hear the note about baptism there? And you will be clean. I will clean you from your impurities. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. How will he do it? And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. In other words, what the Holy Spirit does is he overcomes our resistance to God. Michael talked about that uh, in his testimony here. He overcomes our reluctance to open the Bible, to expose ourselves to a Christian church, to pray. He gives us a desire to please God that is not natural to us, and he gives the ability to follow up with it. These are the things that the Holy Spirit does, among many others. And John said that people will gain this Holy Spirit through the man he is announcing, through the coming Messiah. John said in our passage, speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't just pray directly to the Holy Spirit and get him. No, no. We get access to the Holy Spirit by going through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is natural because Jesus was, of course, God who became human, truly God and truly human. And the New Testament makes clear that his whole life as a man who was also God was dominated by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus could baptize other people with the Holy Spirit. You may recall the words of the angel to the Virgin Mary. She had never been with a man, never been with Joseph. And the angel said, you are going to be pregnant. And she says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the angel said in Luke, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Right from his birth, the Holy Spirit was active. And then when Jesus came of age and he was with John at John's baptism, we read in uh, Luke 3 that as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. That this was the time where Jesus, as a man, was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we read right after that in Luke's gospel that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River. And led by the Holy Spirit, he went into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And if you've read that account, you know the devil worked on him as Jesus was hungry and tired and thirsty. And yet he resisted temptations on our behalf that he would have, we would have no power to do. And he as a man needed the Holy Spirit for. Jesus was able to baptize with the Holy Spirit because his whole public ministry was done in the power of the Spirit. We read that after his... After his temptations, he returned to Galilee, quote, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread all over the countryside as he did miracles and raised people from the dead and cured leprosy and so forth. Even Jesus enduring the crucifixion was done through the power of the Spirit. We read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, that Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself on the cross unblemished to God. He needed the Spirit to give him the endurance to take what was there. Now, that's why, because he had the Spirit totally, after his resurrection, he said to his disciples in Acts 1, he said, listen to you folks who have been following me, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that God the Father has promised in the Old Testament from a passage we just read, which you have heard me speak about. And then Jesus said, 
Because John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this was what John's baptism pointed to. Being washed and receiving the Holy Spirit through Jesus. So John says that Jesus is going to baptize you with the Spirit. But John also said, the coming Messiah is going to baptize you with fire. What in the world does that mean? Well, centuries before Jesus and John lived, there was an Old Testament prophet named Malachi. He was four centuries before Christ. And in chapter 3, Malachi predicted that John the Baptist would come on the scene to announce the coming of the Messiah. And he also predicted in Malachi chapter 4 that the Messiah would baptize people with fire. Here's what he said, Malachi 4.1. Surely that day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. You know what stubble is. When you have grain out there and it's cut, the grain is up here, and what's left is the stubble. It's worthless. It, surely that it is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and the evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire. What a horrible thought. This is not Jesus, meek and mild. This is the Old Testament predicting that Jesus, as the Messiah, will come and will terribly punish God's enemies. So here's the summary so far. John says the Messiah is going to come. To some, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, bringing them life and joy and power and protection and so forth. And to others, he's going to baptize them with a terrible judgment and the consequences of their sin. He's going to baptize them with fire. So the idea then is that John wants to give an illustration of this. So the illustration he gave, we already have mentioned it. He says in verse 17 that the Messiah will come and he says the people of this world are going to be like wheat growing in a field. And the Messiah is going to be like the farmer coming at harvest time. And what he's going to do is his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. What that's about is this. Back then, in order to separate the wheat from just the stubble and the chaff and so forth, of course, they didn't have the kind of machinery we do, so they would pile it up and they would take a threshing sledge and beat it until it separated the kernels of grain from the chaff around it and from the stubble. And then they would take a, a, a pitchfork and they'd throw it into the air and the heavier seeds would fall straight down but the lighter chaff would blow away in the wind. And that's how the farmer would separate the good seed from just the useless chaff or stubble. He's using that as a picture of what the Messiah will do. That the Messiah will come and will separate wheat from chaff. People who have repented and truly believe in him, people who resist God and don't. Those who were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the one hand, those who will be baptized with fire and eternal judgment on the other hand. So John said to the people, get ready. This Messiah is coming. This is serious business. It's very important. Prepare yourself by a baptism that illustrates your repentance and that repentance must come from the heart. It is not, he's saying, you just get into this baptism instead of being baptized with the Spirit, but you want to be prepared for the baptism that the Messiah brings. Every person is going to one day have to deal directly with the Messiah and with his Holy Spirit. 
So here's how the story all played out. John eventually died. Jesus of Nazareth was eventually crucified. He was raised from the dead, and he spoke to his disciples, told them what to expect. We read about how he said to stay in Jerusalem until you were baptized with the Spirit. After Jesus went up into heaven, 40 days later came a great festival in Jerusalem, the center of Judaism. Thousands and thousands of people, from Jewish people from all over the world, and people who were not Jewish but who had converted to the faith of Israel, came to worship at this festival. And as they were gathered, the apostles were in a room. I don't know they were actually hiding anymore, but they just didn't have what they needed in order to spread that gospel. And we read what happened. This is PowerPoint number seven. We read what happened in Acts chapter two. On the day of Pentecost, that is this great feast with thousands coming, the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a violent wind. And it filled the house where they were meeting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. You see, what's happening here now, this Holy Spirit comes to this small group of believers, baptizes them with himself instead of just with water, applying the death of Jesus to their souls and to their hearts. This is the Messiah's baptism that John promised. And we read about a wind. Remember we said that the word wind and the word spirit is the same thing? And a fire. Here is what's being seen. When it says that there was a sound of a violent wind, it is showing that the Holy Spirit is present with these people. God's power is present with them. God is now giving his people power. And so the apostles become very bold, and they preach to people who had crucified Jesus just weeks earlier. 3,000 of them repented and became Christian believers in a single day. And those who repented were converted because they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave this little group of apostles and their friends power and joy and boldness and protection and effectiveness and cleansing in their soul. The kinds of things we heard from people here today. It was remarkable. Well, then that's what the violent wind was about, the sound of it on the day of Pentecost. But what about the tongues or flames of fire that appeared over each person's head? Well, here's what this is about. That There are many summaries of it. A summary by Richard Gaffin, I think, is the most helpful probably. It goes like this. The tongues of fire over the heads of the apostles, the people who were preaching, showed that God's judgment had been exhausted. That they were now protected from the fiery judgment of God that the Holy Spirit would bring, and instead, that fire was a benign presence. It's like the difference of watching your barn burn down, which is terrible, or warming your hands at a cozy campfire with your friends. The fire had become benign and helpful rather than destructive. God was saying, it seems, that God's Holy Spirit is not going to destroy them because they've been washed and cleansed. In fact, the fire of judgment has purified them. How had a fire of judgment purified them? It made them pure in God's eyes. 
What happened was this. Jesus Christ himself once said, I have a fire to be baptized with, and oh, how I wish it had already come. He was talking about when he would go to the cross. And when he would go to the cross, he would experience the fiery judgment of God the Father on sins that he had not committed, on sins that I had committed, and the people who were baptized here today had committed, and the people who prayed for them have committed, the sins that we in this room have committed. Jesus himself taking the fiery judgment so that all the sting and pain and awful burning is taken out of those flames so that the benign flame of the joy and the power and the acceptance of God could appear over the heads of the apostles. This is what was going on. And so now the Holy Spirit, for the rest of their lives, his fire would not harm them. It would purify them. It would do what fire does to gold and silver. Gold and silver may not be 100% pure. So you put it in the fire, and it separates the useless dross, and it makes the gold and silver more and more pure. That's what the fire is going to do for the Christians. They are not going to experience God's fire. The fire Jesus felt extinguished the fire that was due to them in eternal hell. And that is why, at the end of our little passage, that is why it ends that says, and with these and many other words, John exhorted the people and preached, quote, the good news to them. Here he's talking about hellfire and judgment, and Luke calls it good news. Oh, yeah, because John is telling them how to avoid the hellfire of judgment, how to have instead the pardoning grace of God and the joyful empowering of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And so John presented the people of his day with a choice, and Jesus Christ, through his Bible and through the Holy Spirit, presents people today with the same kind of choice. Jesus offers a similar ritual. We've seen it today, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Both the baptism John did and the baptism that Jesus offers that we did today, both are useless unless a person experiences the reality behind them through repentance from our sins, faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and God's Spirit consequently coming into you, changing you, washing you, forgiving you. And thus, every one of us who is here today is faced with a choice. The renewing Holy Spirit or the eternal, burning, fiery, judgmental Spirit. Knowing this is good news. Because God offers us the ability then to come. Come, he says. Come. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. Why don't we take about a minute for each of us to bow his or her head and to ponder and maybe pray about these things we've been discussing. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction, please?
in one of the Apostle Paul's letter to a Christian church where the people who were Christians now had lived the widest array of sinful lives, had done everything in the book, nothing that could be done wrong had not been done by some of them. He listed their sins and he says, do you not know that those who live like this will have no share in the kingdom of God? They will get the baptism of fire. But then he says, there was a time when some of you were right there. But now, he says, your sins have been washed away. And you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the washing of the Holy Spirit, and may the mercy that flows from the throne of God the Father be with each of you.